1: Welcome and welcome back to this week's edition of the Systematic Investor Series with Andrew B&I, Nils Larsen, where each week we take the pulse of the global market through the lens of a rules-based investor. Today's episode is even more special as we are also joined by returning guest Tim Pickering for a good old-fashioned debate. On some of the most important changes that we are seeing in the CTA industry relating to how people access these strategies. Andrew and Tim, it's great to have you both back on the podcast this week. Tell me what's going on where you are today, Andrew.
2: Thank you. Well, first of all, thank you for having me back. Um, yeah, so look, I mean, I think from a macro perspective, I think what's been taking a lot of time and energy is just the exhausting nature of US politics and what is you know going to ha- happen over the course of the next couple of years it seems like we were in sort of a little bit of a respite last year uh when uh you know it was more about the fed and in- in- inflation what was happening i think a lot of attention is turning back to politics and it's just kind of a dreary and depressing presidential process that we're beginning and i think what you saw with the debt ceiling which again it's these external events which just kind of keeps everybody um uh waiting in abeyance while you know it feels like you have two clown cars driving toward each other playing a game of chicken. Um, It's just, uh, you know, I I hope we just have a more interesting and productive uh, macro environment over the next few months.
1: Absolutely. And I was even thinking just about what's going on in New York, where you are today, and you're laying out this whole macro picture for me, which I wanted to ask you anyway, so I appreciate that, Andrew. Tim, Calgary, what's going on? Anything exciting? Uh, Yeah, we're a Calgary-based
0: manager, which is... uh a little bit of an outlier, obviously, that's the, uh, the focus of the energy business in, in Canada and, and arguably the largest oil reserve in the world is, is uh, in northern Alberta. Um, so it is an energy focused town. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting time for sure. We're seeing some weakness in energies, uh, which we've been seeing for, I guess, quite some time. As far as politics go, generally don't pay all that much attention other for other than for entertainment value. Uh, we don't do anything with it from a um, an investment perspective, that's for sure. But it is interesting times. I think it's uh, it's probably pretty unlikely that we go back to uh, a world of quantitative easing, zero rates, no inflation, no vol anytime soon. So that makes it uh, um, a more what I call normal time to be uh, a CTA or a co-op manager, somebody looking to capture trends in the marketplace. So these are interesting times for what we do for sure especially from a commodity perspective
1: yeah and 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 actually it's it's interesting what you say there tim because i think a lot of people don't necessarily think about the last 10 years as being the anomaly but i truly believe it is and so what we're back now is in an environment where these kind of strategies become even more important for people who want some kind of div- true diversification in their portfolios. So I uh, I'm truly excited about uh, our conversation today. It's going to be a debate where there's going to be some strong views, strong opinions, strong disagreement. I I feel, um, but nevertheless, it's a really important debate because it goes to the heart of How should people think about accessing or getting access to these type of returns that we all uh, love and hold dear to our hearts? Before we go into all of that, since we are recording on the last day of May, let me just say from a trend-following update point of view um, that, uh, you know, May has actually been uh, pretty good uh, so far, as far as I can tell. You know, although there's been a few surprises towards the end in some of the markets, But, you know, in terms of opportunities, the interesting thing about this month is that some of the best performing markets and sectors has been things like meats and base metals and some specific equity markets like Japanese equities and long gills in terms of fixed income. And of course, also uh, accompanied by some energies and trends in in grain. So an interesting month, uh, again, showcasing, I think, the the strength of what we do, and more importantly, the non-correlation to equities and bonds, uh, as we all love. Anyways, let's dive into it. Um, But actually, before we do that, let me just throw in some numbers. My own trend barometer finishes the month around 43, so still stuck in neutral zone reflecting somewhat inconsistent opportunity sets for this year so far. Uh, But in terms of the indices we track, uh, the BTOP50 index... Uh, as of close of business last night, up 1.33% uh, for the month, down about 1% for the year. The Sock Gen CTA index up 2.76% for the month, uh, down 60 basis points for the year. Trend index up 3.76% for the month, down about a percent for the year. And the short-term traders index, I have to say, struggling a bit this year, down 73 basis points and down 2.9% this year. This in contrast to equities being down slightly as of close of business, business last night, 36 basis points for MSCI World, still up 8.5%. Bonds came off but have recovered the last couple of days, but still about uh, 90 basis points down for the month. And the S&P is up just shy of 1% as of last night, up 95 for the year. Anyways, Now, you've each kind of given me a few topics that I could bring up, and I will try to add maybe a a few uh, comments along the way uh, or follow-up questions. And then actually we have a listener, Oliver, who wrote in with a couple of topics that actually I think is very relevant for this conversation, so I'm going to try and throw them in as well. Now, before we start really getting into the meat of all of this, I'd like maybe to start with you, Tim, because if I'm not wrong in my memory, you guys launched perhaps the first or one of the first CTA strategies within an ETF. And clearly, that's really a big part of our debate today. So I'm curious in terms of why you did it, uh, and kind of some of the experience uh, from those early days. Um, But then we'll get into the real topics.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. So we are the first CTA ever to launch an ETF. Uh, it was back in 2008. We started with something very simple. Um, it was an exposure, beta exposure to natural gas, uh, Canadian natural gas. what's called Aco Gas, which is one of the largest gas supplies to the U.S. And um, why did we do that? Um, we had launched Auspice, started Auspice in, uh, I left Shell in 05. Uh, first fund in late 06 and here a couple of years later, we were launching this beta natural gas ETF. What we were trying to learn about is the delivery mechanism. Um, we recognized that as a quantitative systematic rules-based manager, um, that really was akin to an index. Um, and could we find ways to get products like commodities and CTA into a format that we thought was the, where the puck was going and that is an ETF. So learn about indexing, learn about ETFs, do it with a very uh, esteemed partner, it was Claymore. Uh, Claymore now, was now uh, then gobbled up by, by BlackRock, but um, we launched it with Claymore, they had a great distribution team and, and we learned a lot. Um, so that was kind of the first thing, was the beta product. The next thing we did was was more CTA-like, and that was we launched a, a trend-following long-flat uh, commodity product uh, linked to our Ospis Broad Commodity Index. There's a couple indices or a couple ETFs now in the world linked to that, both in the U.S. and Canada. Uh, trend-following volatility-based position sizing, term structure, all that fun CTA stuff that's from our world. Um, and again, we were trying to, to break open that that retail space and really give access to retail investors to something that otherwise was a little bit opaque, definitely hard to get their hands on. Um, being in Canada, uh, a very commodity-focused uh, nation, you know, everybody will tell you they have commodity exposure, and what they really mean is resource equity or debt, um, and that isn't commodity exposure. So we're always we're always. Uh, looking for ways to enable the investor, whether it's retail or institutional, to have access to product. So that was our first foray into it. We learned a lot. Uh, You know, I'll preface this by saying, uh, we really believe in the ETF product line uh, is a delivery mechanism. And again, these are just delivery mechanisms, very pro ETFs and even pro ETFs in the CTA and commodity space. Um, You know, it it accounts for uh, more than half of our almost billion in assets. So we really believe in that space uh, in general, and obviously, you know, the product that um, Andrew and team brought out, uh, you know, piques our interest in, in various ways just because of, you know, it's a CTA uh, type of product and, and, and we know this space. So uh, we applaud the, uh, definitely applaud the innovation and, and the pioneering aspects. That's kind of what gets us up in the morning here at Auspice.
1: Absolutely. Now, um, so the first topic uh, really comes uh, from Andrew. And Andrew um, raised the question, what is a managed futures index? And why should anyone care about whether something is uh, an index or not? So I wonder if you want to throw a little bit of thoughts to that, Tim, and then uh, Andrew, you can comment from your point of view, because I know you wrote about this a few years back. Um, but Tim, how, what are your thoughts about this?
0: Yeah, well, so if if you go back, and I mean, I'm going to go way back to 20, 2008, 2010. Uh, we made the decision as a CTA to take our strategy to actually publish indexes Uh, linked to those strategies. So um, we took a single strategy to carve out from our flagship, took that IP to the NYSE, to an index provider, and and they actually published that index as a third party. Why did we do that? Um, And the same was with natural gas. We needed to create a benchmark index for that ETF, um, one that the strategy had uh, a goal of tracking um, instead of us tracking or comparing to something off the shelf. Um, why don't we create our own strategy and publish that? And that is the strategy. And then, and then if there's a deviation in our strategy uh, or in our performance from theoretic, uh, i.e. the index, the investor can see that. And that provided the investor some comfort, especially way, way back when we were launching uh, ETFs in a very, you know, again, opaque area, commodity and CTA. You know, It was really new at the time. And, and it wasn't hard to do, right? Because we, we have rules-based CTA strategies, Putting them in an index format uh, is pretty easy to do, as opposed to saying, look, what we want to do is, is launch a product. Um, in, in the case of commodity, our first product was, could we beat the GSCI or the B, or the BCOM? That was our goal. Um, and we said, yeah, we can. So the benchmark could be BCOM or GSCI, and we can use trend following and term structure and, and, and volatility-based position sizing to do that. Or... We can publish our own strategy as the benchmark index, and that's the path we chose that, that created some comfort for the investor. And uh, you know, that's just the path that made sense for us at the time. So we do believe in in the space where, and I, I know Andrew has some specific thoughts on this, of of taking a strategy one that we believe is robust that can be replicated as a strategy, especially for the market makers and, and putting that out as an ETF product as opposed to replication. And, and I'm not saying replication is bad and we can go down that path here shortly. But that's just the path we chose at the time was to take our strategy. We had a lot of track record. Uh, you know, we've been around 17 plus years, a lot of track record in this. And, and that's what we'll use as the basis for the strategy.
1: Okay, now Andrew, I have I have to say I have not read your article uh, that you wrote, um, but I I think it's a few years back in 2015. Um, what did you write about this topic? <laughs> okay. So,
2: so I, I'm I'm endlessly fascinated by this intersection. So, one of the most fascinating things from an industry structure perspective is this debate between active and passive, right? And and a lot of things in the asset management world have kind of big words attached to them and people kind of take it. So they look at the S&P 500 and they say, oh, my God, it's that's passive. Um, but but the index changes over time. You know, S&P decides to to change it. Now, they make relatively minor changes over a period of time. Um, and at the under, other end of the spectrum, you've got a stock picker who is basically trying to beat the S&P 500 by, you know, 100 basis points a year net of fees. And he's, deciding which ones of those 500 stocks he wants to own and put it together and try to do better. Um, but, but they're really not all that different as you. And so the, what I wrote about, and I think what, what – there, there was a whole wave of products that were launched in the mid-2000s uh, that, were, um, that, that were labeled as index products. And, and they were systematic in nature. It was called the alternative risk premium space. And, and they sounded unbelievable on paper. Right? Why would I ever invest in a CTA when I can simply build my own trend-following model? And building trend-following models requires a great deal of experience, etc. But but you can get a lot of the way there by establishing certain rules and parameters. And and this whole business is based upon we all learn from each other in different ways, right? And so somebody figures out that a certain window length or a vol adjustment or something is better. Over time, other people are going to adopt it. But what we found is when we looked at it, so we loved the idea in theory, then we looked at the space and what we found, and we said, all right, let's build let's build our own, right? And we started actually with merger ARB, right? And we said, let's build our own merger ARB model. And, and the argument that Cliff Asnes and other people were making was, you know, merger ARB guys generate high-risk adjusted returns. They're really not that smart. What they're really doing is harvesting a risk previa because most investors hate merger ARB deals and sell out too soon. And so there's this big, you know, they're just... A million guys are leaving pennies on the, on, on the ground, and we'll just sweep them up. And as we went through the process of trying to build it, what we realized is, my God, we have to specify like these 35 different parameters. Do we want Japanese equities or not? What happens when a bid comes in above the offer? How do we treat that? What if it's a cash deal? What if there's some weird security? And, and when we got through all this, what we realized was that actually those indices were single manager products wrapped up as an index. Now, why would somebody do this? And what I wrote about was basically the power of it from a marketing perspective was that people were creating indices that were essentially systematized active management products and then walking out with a 30-year track record. Because, Because the way regulatory rules worked, and they still work that way, is that you can publish an index as your hypothetical performance, but you can't show a track record, even if you're doing exactly the same thing for the past 25 years, but it just wasn't in XYZ vehicle, right? So in in the case of DBMF, we started it in 2016, identical underlying strategy, rolled it into an ETF in 2019. For the vast majority of investors out there, our world starts in in 2019. Um, And so so the appeal of the index products was you could show somebody how you think this would have done over a long period of time without it being them having to come and ask you for it directly without sort of all so but what it got to was this, this this question of if you create an index or you're using an index that's not what the asset allocation bucket that you' that you're aiming for does, then have you introduced a new risk in your model and so as it relates to the managed shooters face, what we basically concluded at the time and I, I think the products have gotten a lot better and 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 Tim's yours, yours may be, be be far better than what we looked at was that if you if everybody is saying they're a trend follower and this is the index and the indices are thirty points apart at the end of two years, that suggests that they're really single manager products. And the problem it creates you as an asset allocator is when you say index, it should be something that you can fill a bucket and know it's gonna it's gonna match that bucket or come close to that bucket over the next two or three years. And and I didn't see we didn't see the rules based ways of, ways of doing that now. There are people, I think, who've done it well, but we saw issues where people hadn't.
0: So, I I mean, uh, good points. I I would say one aspect that we learned about, and you're not wrong in a sense about publishing an index, and you can look back over time, and it's theoretic and and all the rest. The only correction I would make to that is when you go to sell a product, you can't allude to that that historical track record. You can only look at that track record, um, and this has gone through regulatory, I've been through it for... Whatever it is now, decade, fifteen years, where from that point that there was product and that index was published, then you can look at it going forward. You can't look at the back test and publish that alongside product. At least that's what we've experienced, and and that's not only uh, in Canada, but specifically with our our relationship uh, with direction in the U.S. So that so that's one aspect. I think you know there's a lot to unpackage here. I'd say part of what I'm hearing is is this thesis that people like indexes, and you know why why would they be comforted with an in, index? Um, well, in in the equity and fixed income world, they're very comfortable with it. and this idea that people want index exposure in the CTA space. And I don't believe that's the case. I don't think in the CTA space that's what people want. They want these benchmark indexes of eighteen or nineteen or whoever the managers are. What I hear from clients, both retail and institutional, is they want outperformance at critical times. They do not want index. If they, do, if they get index, they want it with far less risk than even what the index shows, the vol, the drawdown, but they want outperformance at these critical critical times. And then we can go down this you know, wild door of, of crisis, alpha, and, 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 and to me, all that means is, can you outperform the street at these critical times, when a client is really looking for negative correlation, non-correlation, uh, crisis alpha, and performance, and, and that's when you don't want to be benchmark, you don't want to be index, um, and this is where you know this is where the alpha debate you know starts to starts to come in is, is what is that element that causes a manager to outperform even if they are systematic rules-based, but what is it about their strategy um, that causes them to outperform at these critical times? That's what institutional investors do. They go build portfolios of CTAs that they think are better. They're not looking for index, they're looking for better. They're looking for these elements.
2: Yeah, look, I, well, first of all, I think, I, think, I think there are a million different kinds of investors, right? And so I, I think I, we, we have found zero interest in general or very little interest in general for our products from institutional investors. Because they do want to pick you and five different guys, right? They want you and Niels and three other people. And, and what they do is they put together, they don't want five guys who look alike, right? They want five guys who do different things. They want, you know, they're probably not going to do Niels and Alpha Simplex and, and and somebody else who has kind of like, you know, very similar return profiles over time. They're going to layer it with a man AHL or somebody else. They're also probably going to go toward guys that they think are, institutionally credible and safe to invest in. Um, but I, but I, what I would argue is when they're putting together five or six, right? So, so one step above that guy is a guy who's building a, is a consultant or somebody else who's building a long-term asset allocation portfolio. And, and there's, a, there's a decision that happens above that where they decide in the first place that they want a 3% allocation or 5% allocation to manage futures. And how do they make that decision? They, they. I've never seen somebody look at that and say, "Ah, what we need to do is 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 Bob. We need Bob to be a five percent allocation." They have to look at a long term return stream, and then somebody feeds it into what are called capital markets assumptions, and they say, and and they come up with all sorts of assumptions about the future. This is the expected returns. This is the expected, um, you know, uh, correlations to different asset classes, et etc. Of which negative correlation or zero correlation to other assets is incredibly valuable. But 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 so so my whole thing was up at that level, when you're deciding to put something into an, an asset allocation, when you're trying, deciding to, to, to have an asset allocation bucket to begin with, you are by definition talking about an index of that strategy. Uh, you don't say, I'm going to start with my US equity allocation at 60% and I'm going to pick this guy because he's been doing it for 10 years and he's done better than the S&P 500. You start with, I want... A sixty percent allocation to equities, and and then decide you want a guy to beat it. You just start with an allocation to bonds, and then you pick this guy because you think he can do marginally better. And so they've got to start with I want managed futures, and then they want Tim, or they want Niels, as as the alpha generation relative to it.
0: Yeah. So I I don't disagree, and you know if we go back to the kind of the start of this conversation is is you know, in this ecosystem, and I've heard you say these same things. I want us all to do well. I think this is an important part of asset allocation. It's fantastic to see sort of a, you know, bit of a revival in that regard. I don't know if that's the right word, but, you know, there's obviously a lot of interests. Our assets have grown a lot. We've got a big runway here and it seems like, you know, there's positive, positive momentum, no pun intended in, in this space. Um, however, I think there's a responsibility, and, and you alluded to it, you're not after that institutional investor, or maybe they're not looking in this space. However, I think there's a responsibility in the message that we deliver in terms of, of these products. You're talking about retail investors, and you know, again, I accidentally found myself in this space back from 2008 on um, with retail-based commodity and CTA uh, ETFs but there's a responsibility in in how we tell this story and that we're accurate in what we're describing. And, and you just mentioned the word alpha, and and this is a real, you know, bone I have to pick. And that is this idea that that fee reduction is the purest form of alpha. I, I wholly, wholly disagree with that. That is not alpha. And, and, and I think that perpetuating that story that, that, you know, you're going to put out a product, whether it's replication or a single strategy, whatever, it doesn't even really matter. But that that strategy, because it's got lower fees, than directly with the managers is going to generate 4% extra, you know, return over some period of time. And, and that's alpha, that's not what alpha is. And I think it starts with that, we have a responsibility in this space to the message, a lot of us have worked extremely hard 10 20 30 some managers pushing 40 plus years uh, in this space and at these times when people are looking in this space and we're given this opportunity to wave our flag I think there's a responsibility in the message and and I'm cautious when I hear um, you know certain ways things are describing and, and you know that's kind of the well,
2: look I, I, th- I think you misunderstood the, the, the sentence then the, the 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 point is that there is a it's a strategy that generates alpha, right? There are two measures of it. There's alpha before fees and there's after alpha fees. There's alpha after fees, right? Would you invest in a strategy that generates 500 basis points a year of alpha and has 500 basis points of costs? No, right? So, so if you ask the most sophisticated hedge fund investors in the world, how, how does a guy who runs the hedge fund portfolio at a sovereign wealth fund consistently do better than almost every other investor who's out there. It's because they walk into hedge funds and they say, I can give you a billion dollars and you'll raise $2 billion just because I gave you a billion dollars, but you can charge 2 and 20 for everybody else, but I'm gonna do it at 75 basis points and 10 over hurdle. They always do better. So, so the, you know, it's, look, it's a, it's a simple, straightforward statement. The well, they'll always, but- they'll
0: always do better if the manager performs. There's a big if, but there, and, and that's fine. It's fees don't solve everything. That's what makes fees, fees are not, you know, cutting fees, in my opinion, and people are going to debate this and I hope they do. Fees, you know, fee reduction is not a pure form of alpha. I disagree with that wholeheartedly. And when you lead with that statement to the retail public, I think that's dangerous and, you know, frankly, I'm surprised you haven't got a tap on the shoulder because I'll tell you, you know, with, with the regulators we deal with, I, I would be scared to make that type of a statement. It's like, you know what I've done here? I've, I've launched Auspice, diversified our flagship. It's been around a long time. So now I'm going to launch an ETF. It's going to be at 95 basis points. And I put out advertisements saying this is this is alpha. You know, th- that's a problem.
2: I, look, I've, I've written also a paper called "Lies, Damn Lines, and Alpha." So it's, it's. I think you're. Uh, I, I, how do you define alpha? Like, what do you? What? Seriously, like, what is your clear definition of alpha, and what makes you think you can identify somebody who's going to generate alpha in advance, as opposed to having picking somebody who has done it in the past?
0: Well, look, I mean, it's it, it's a tough. This is the thing about alpha. It's it's somewhat unexplainable. you know, inexplicable unexplainable and and not replicable and and not necessarily attributable to a replicable factor but what is it about that strategy or that manager or that approach that outperforms benchmarks the status quo whatever we're going to call that at these critical times, you know that's what ends up being alpha. And whenever I talk to a manager about al- or a, a, an allocator about alpha, it surely just isn't about my fees. When I sit down with a pension, you know some of the biggest pensions in the world, and they say, "Okay, let's let's understand. You guys have been around a long time. You know, you still got capacity. We're interested in what you do. You got this commodity focus. You've outperformed at these critical times. Tell us why you have that edge. What is that alpha?" They're not they're not asking and if I answer and say, well, you know what, um, why don't we just forget about that? Let's just talk about how you're going to carve me out on fees and and then I'm going to go sell that story. That's not alpha. Right. They want to know what my edge is. They want to know what the strategy edge is. And, and even the most naive retail investor, mom and pop at the donut shop, get these concepts of, of edge. You know, you put a, a nice fancy term like alpha on it. But. But you know these are the things that people start to identify with. You got to remember now your product's going out there into the world; it's being distributed. It's it's got this this momentum. It's done well at times. You know, all I'm saying is I think there's there's a concern. I have a concern um, that that we're using the right terminology and and that we're being responsible in the messaging, you know, that we say.
2: Well, look, look. I mean, we're not. I mean. The, there's a lot of complexity in the messaging. First of all, if you, I mean, if you look at what I've said, there, I, there are hedge fund strategies where I'm a full advocate of high fees. Um, I am, go read me in the FT and the Wall Street Journal and Bloomberg talking about, it, you paying 1,000 basis points a year to millennium is worth every penny. They take a dollar of your capital, they leverage it into 10, they make two to 300 basis points per dollar of capital and they don't blow up. That is magic, from an investment perspective. They've done a 2.4-sharp ratio for long periods of time. They deserve every penny of that. But if somebody came to you and said, I, am, I will give you money at a full fee structure, or I will give you a lot of money at a lower fee structure, would you deny the math that the guy who, who offers you less is going gonna, is gonna, is gonna to do better over time?
0: Absolutely not denying the, the value of fees. I mean, bear in mind where we started this conversation. I'm the first CTA in the world to launch an ETF. And, and when I launched that ETF, and, and Niles knows part of this story, you know, it, it shook things up in that, you know, here you're taking a strategy. This has been around a long time. There's these nice big brand CTAs, you know, there's the London Club and there's, you know, the Turtle Path and, and, and I'm going to launch a 95 basis point ETF. Why are you doing that? You know, why are you going to offer this transparency and why are you going to offer this at a low cost? We felt it was the right thing to do is, is, is the bottom line, and, and we still feel that for a certain type of product, right? And no, it isn't, if if there's this alpha to beta spectrum, this product for us deserves a fee and we can can demonstrate why there's alpha. And this product's somewhere over on the spectrum and it's gonna be less fee. Maybe it's not performance fee, it's just a management fee. Um, Or if you're really confident in your alpha, you go straight performance fee or some combination of management fee or performance fee, either way right? There's the difference between alpha. And my point is that we need to be careful in what we're defining to the public as, as,
1: as alpha. And fee reductions not it. Can I intersect here? Um, because I think we've discussed, I mean, I think, you know, we, we, I, I certainly get the, the, the argument for both sides, but I don't want this conversation to just be about whether the <laughs> fees are alpha or not. Um, and so, but I, I want we to say well i have a completely different view on 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 people selling cta strategies at low fees and giving all our alpha away but that's for another debate maybe no i want to take this point a little bit and expand it because if you want exposure to say a cta return stream strategy whatever we define it and i don't know if if when people think about it nowadays they would say well just pick the you know, whatever, index, that is kind of the, the 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 return stream. The question is, um, what are you better off doing? Are you better off building your own rules, a proxy, and then you can call it an index, whatever you want, replicating what the big managers are doing, like what um, Andrew is doing, picking a few single managers, or investing in a fund of funds? What's kind of the, and we don't want to spend too much time on it, but kind of your, pros and cons for each of these paths. Maybe, Andrew, I can put that to you first.
2: When we came into this space, we weren't dogmatic, right? We were just trying, we were trying to figure out, we were basically saying, we want exposure to the managed futures space. What does that even mean, right? And, and at the time, it was very trendy to say um, that, that the underlying source of returns of managed futures are trend, is trend. And what it did is it spawned this whole wave of investment bank and other products that were basically defining trend and they were they were all had kind of a similar objective which is to you know identify breakouts identify things that are moving kind of rebalance your portfolio maybe you do vol adjustments whatever the set of rules were around it all we wanted to do was get efficient exposure to what we defined as the asset class and the asset class for us was um was not those individual funds because of the variability of it the asset class was the guys who do it for a living and and that meant the Sock gen CTA index. At the time, the view was when we started looking at it, kind of trend was unfavorable. And then it wasn't until really 2020 and March of 2020 when trended better that people started to look at trend again. But you know, back then it was the non-trend stuff was supposed to do better. Winton was pulling out of the space or, you know, claiming that they were were no longer trend, et cetera. So um so we wanted we wanted if we went to an institution and we said, when you guys think of managed futures, what do you mean? And the answer was the SOC gen CTA index. And so, so, to us, the definition of the space was the average of what the big guys do. No different than the s and p five hundred is what the big stocks are doing. So the question is how do you get access to that? Simple models work really well. right? There's not It's not a knock on uh, the, Corey Hofstein has has launched a an ETF in the US that combines a factor replication with um, you know, a sort of mechanical trading strategy with rules-based strategy around it. It's, it's, it is a perfectly legitimate, incredible way of doing it. But when we looked at it and we said, what we're really trying to do is get, how do we get as close as we can to what those 20 guys are doing and do it in the most efficient way that we possibly can? Because again, we we're building it for a portfolio in Europe. We looked at doing factor replication and it worked the best back then. And you know, we started doing 2015. And by the end of 2022, it had worked far better than anything else that we'd found and we had basically been aiming for what we thought were kind of the pre-fee and pre-expense returns, and had outperformed I think 19 of the 20 constituents of the Socken CT index by the end of 2022. It hasn't worked well this year, right? It hasn't. We've we've been we've missed something in 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 the markets this year. Maybe it's the simplicity of the portfolio. Maybe it's the timing. Uh, but it hasn't worked disastrously well. It just hasn't worked as well as it had previously. Um, another approach is you go to Abbey. Give all your money to Abby because Abby is diversifying. They're, ma- they're doing the decision for you, and they have a great business model. I think they're the best in the business at doing it. You know, A third approach is to buy some sort of a trend-following you know, index-type product or a managed futures index product. I think there you have to you know, have a clear view on it requires a certain level of sophistication. You've got to get under the hood on it. Um, or you buy a guy or a single fund. And and each one of those has advantages and disadvantages. And and I think the the, the positive thing, hopefully, when we look back at this in five years, will be that investors have a lot of really good choices. They've not had good choices in the ETF world. You know, they have, going back to this idea of index products, two of the earlier products that were launched were launched around indices that nobody would want. But it, it it was designed to kind of say, oh, we're giving you access to an index. The problem was, as an asset allocator, where do you where do you put that in your portfolio? How do you feel confident that that index is going to give you what, you know, what what the Sock Gen CTA index would give you over time? So I think, look, I think I think I don't. It's I think there are lots of different uh, great options. I mean, I wished I had had all of my money with done in the beginning of 2022. <laughs> and had all of my money done in the beginning of May of this year. Um, but, but I just haven't, you know, we never found out a way to figure out who was going to have those banner years. In fact, what we looked at is we'd say, who were the great guys in 2010 and what happened to them? And, and, you know, who were the great guys in 2012 and what happened to them? And it just underscored how difficult it is in this space to get it right and, and and how much unexpected risk there was when you pick the guy, the wrong guy at the wrong time, which is what. Look, the U.S. managed futures mutual fund space is twenty billion today. It was twenty eight billion when we started. Half of that was AQR. No one is smarter than AQR. They are unbelievable in every in every sense in their business, but. What people thought people thought AQR could not go wrong.
0: I think AQR has lost more in their managed future strategies in terms of assets than I'll ever run. So, you know, there's a comment to be made there, you know, good for them. You know, there's so much to unpackage here. I mean, you know, even you know, you're kind of going down the path of of single manager and fund to funds and and mentioning Abby. And, you know, full kudos to Abby. They're they're a very smart group. But, you know, in, in replication. Which again, to be crystal clear, I think it's innovative. I think if it performs, it's great. I love the pioneering aspect. I love choice in the space. We need more choice in the space, especially ETFs. So, 100% agree. I Love it. Uh, I personally prefer that you know the single strategy over, and you know I'll get to a little bit why. If it delivers good or better returns with less vol, drawdown risk, then I think you've really got something. And and I think that's where I start to see red flags with the replication strategy and why we chose not to go that path. It's this isn't that we just took off the shelf, hey, you know what, we can create, carve out a, a, you know, a, a strategy and put it in an ETF format and publish an index. We looked at these things too. There's reasons that we chose not to go the replication path, um, you know, for various reasons. One thing is single manager risk. I don't believe you solve single manager risk, which is real, right? put all your money in one basket, they could be the greatest, but you know maybe there's something wrong there, maybe there's various other things hidden, who knows. Um, but I don't think this strategy replication and, and providing a replication to what the perceived positions are of the big managers solves for single manager, manager risk in, in any way. In fact, I think in many ways, I think the risk is higher because you don't have frontline risk management, and this boils down to risk management. You know as, as a manager that's paying attention to this on a daily basis, not just trying to mimic what somebody else is doing, what we're trying to do is put it starts with risk management. The bones, the core of a CTA is risk management. and, and that's where I see a, a red flag. You know then you get to, to strategy, what are those red flags? Well, that that lag on execution—that's a big deal in terms of protecting the downside. Um, there's lots of research out there. You've probably read the same papers, and and that is you know on on generating performance at these critical times or protecting the downside when you get these dislocations and being able to do that with a lag. Look what we just saw in March, March March of this year, regional banking crisis was hardly a tail risk event, and it beat up some of these you know, some of the big managers, it surely beat up a replication strategy. And, and, and that to me is, is, you know, again, a red flag. When I start to consider the risk management aspects to it, when you go replicating managers that have big portfolios, and you do that with 10 or 12 things, to me, that concentration risk is, is real. Concentration is fantastic when, when you've got the right you know, you're, you're riding it and it's a great trend, but when things dislocate, that concentration risk is an extremely big problem. The lack of lack of diversification, the lack of commodity diversification in the case of CTAs.
2: So, so the very best replication this year has one factor. It's the two-year treasury, right? You do, you do, a, you do a replication of the stock CTA index with one factor, you get a 93% correlation and you match it perfectly. It's, it's, it's just, there's so much hand waving around diversification. I honestly don't even know how to respond to that
0: because that is that is patently ridiculous. Uh, I look at the returns that we've provided this year, and I can only speak to to us, you know, with intimate knowledge. You know, we're up on the year; the benchmarks are down, and our returns did not come from two years. Uh, they came from because things. you're a
2: single manager of course there's going to be diversion in it. look look at, look at march right i mean some guys some guys de-risked early right we were we were looking at the portfolios in march and there were a few days in march where we thought everybody had de-risked because the SockGen cta index wasn't moving when the treasury market was going bananas and it turns out actually you know people were a little busy they weren't reporting the SockGen cta index in, in the first few days after after SVB. And so there was delayed reporting, and when it reported in, replications, f- unfortunately, followed everybody down just pretty much the way the index went down.
1: But, but does
0: it, okay, so what you just said is a, even another factor. It's like, doesn't that alarm you? You're saying they weren't reporting in, they were busy with other things, so replication gets a little tricky. There's even a bigger lag there. I and mean, there's, there's, again, it, it's pretty, pretty easy to see the math and say, look, when you start looking at adjustments and you get into these lag periods, you simply aren't going to be able to adjust and and reduce risk quick enough when you've got lag. So there's a lag for a CTA that's on top of things. And there's different, you know, again, there's a big, wide CTA space. There's agile, quick CTAs. There's ones that vol adjust. There's ones that don't. Jerry and I can debate that till, till no end. But then when you start to get into periods of of this lag in terms of adjusting to something that's going on, that's a dislocation, that's a real big issue, like region, you know, this regional banking crisis, like Q1 of 2020, uh, like really the first quarter of this year, are you going to be able to a replicate those positions properly, but really deliver on what you've promised to deliver on, and that is that you're gonna, you know, really outperform this benchmark index through all you know, quote unquote, all periods. And the reality is that you're opening yourself up for times when you won't. You simply won't be able to adjust quick enough. You've already stated that. And at those times of dislocation, that could be disastrous, right? I have trouble explaining to my clients, retail or institutional, probably even retail more, when I have months when I'm down, you know, more than four or 5%. Those are red flags. I just completed a managed account uh, investment with a massive uh, pension, and you know if it gets over five percent, it sends up red flags, and and so you know those type of issues start to point to the strategies. Like, does this really does what do what it wants to do? And then I ask you this question: If you can beat the benchmark in terms of returns, you know four percent would be great. I look back at the returns, I say, well, you know, one and a half, one and three, great. But then you're doing that with higher vol and deeper drawdowns. That's a red flag. And and that needs to be carefully, carefully explained to investors.
2: Look, I would I would highly recommend you don't invest in our fund, right? We we clearly ran over your dog. And look, it this is look, this is you're, you're, I, you're, I don't take it as ran over my god. I'm, I'm trying so to you're, point you're, out you're starting you're starting risk. with conclusions. You're starting with conclusions and then fishing around for arguments for it. The look, we're we're not stupid, okay. We we looked at we looked at de risking. We looked at vol controls. We've looked at there are no questions. It can hurt you at times, but what we also found was about half the time you hated having de risked, right? And, and 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 there was nobody on planet Earth that we found we want to de risk before it goes down. Guess what? No one's figured that one out. Right?
0: Agreed, agreed 100%. We're all right. so
2: it's, it's, it's a So, so these, are, these are judgments that we make when we build it. Right? We, we start with a very, very narrow factor set for a very specific reason. We want to have the most efficient trading and execution we can possibly have. We rebalance once a week because we're trying to keep our trading costs at 10 or 15 basis points. When we spoke to institutional allocators— Okay? no one is no one is opening up their p and l to show us exactly how that we trade. But when we were talking to some of the largest CTA allocators in the world, one of the frustrations some of them had was when they had gotten in, they saw hundreds of basis points of trading costs in certain circumstances. and 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 it doesn't show up in a TER. It doesn't show up anywhere else. but But for us, it was all about it wasn't about solving everything, everything for everybody. But what we found is when we looked at this over a very, very long period of time, the the biggest positions were the ones that really drove performance and you ask about diversification through you know again our numbers go back longer than the etf but but you know when we looked at when we looked at it we basically found that actually you know what sometimes having those other 50 positions that we don't have sucked because if you're in crude oil and crude oil moved a little bit but you were also in natural gas and also in heating oil and those moved a lot because the markets were less liquid Sometimes that was worse for the real guys than it was for us. There's no perfect answer to any of this. And, and if you, you can listen to, I'm doing monthly performance reporting when we're talking about this. We talk about things we missed this year. January and February, I wished we'd had the Canadian dollar, the Mexican peso, and a few other positions. We didn't have it. And that was one of those examples when things that we don't invest in really helped. Um, I don't, we didn't see a, a, a lag issue in, even though we were worried that we were going to see a lag issue in March, we didn't see it. And when you look at the underlying hedge funds, we end up, we're pretty close to right the middle of, the, of those underlying hedge funds. Um, this month, we're, we're, you guys are up more than we are. And I, I had this correspondence with, with Niels this morning, you guys, there are a lot of markets out there that are doing really, really, really well. And so it's, it's not about coming up with, with an all or one solution. But I can tell you as an investor that, that having a big head start on what I think are fees and expenses on an annual basis versus what on the hedge fund side remains a, 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 an expensive area to invest in, if we're getting it 90% right most of the time, I think we're going to come out ahead most of the time with a correlation of north of 80%. It's actually been closer to 90%. And if you can do that in an ETF and people can see their positions and can understand their positions, I think there's a place in the market for it, not for the guys who want to invest with you.
0: Listen, I'm not saying in any way there isn't a place. In fact, again, I go come back to what I started with and that's I applaud the innovation. What I'm just trying to do is... is pick your brains on what I see as some of the pitfalls here. One of some of the reasons we chose not to go replication when we started down this path 15 plus years ago. And, and, and those are the things that concern me. And, and it's fantastic that there's been even more attention on the space because of your product. I applaud you for that. I'm concerned with some of these, some of these aspects, you know, there's, there's, there's other things you've, you've talked about that, you know, I think, we've got to be careful on. Capacity is one of them. Um, and, and you know, all strategies have capacity and, and, and the CTA space is most definitely capacity constrained. It's more capacity constrained if you're a commodity-tilted manager like us, for sure. But you know, these are things, again, we have to be very transparent about when we talk to investors, especially, especially retail investors. The one point I wanted to comment on that you made there was trading costs. And it's an interesting point about, you know, talking to big investors, institutional investors, and, you know, generating all these, these fees from, from uh, you know, over trading or just trading, whatever the strategy is. I have never in my, you know, almost 30 years trading institutionally and running auspice for pushing 20 years ever had an, an investor of any type complain about my trading costs at times when I'm either capturing trends or reducing risk. They don't care. That has never come up, not once, ever. Again, we're not talking the same investors. I, I think this is the part you're missing, is we are talking about the same investors. Because, again, I went down and we went at Auspice down the path of retail starting in 2008, 2010. Uh, the funds we run in, in Canada are, are public funds. As of this year, they are public funds available to the kid with a paper route, daily liquidity. They're not an ETF traded on exchange, but anybody can buy them on a discount channel. They're purchasable by any investor, public full prospectus. So we are talking about the same investors and I've been on both sides of this. I have half of my assets are coming out of the retail ETF space right now. So I know this space too. What I'm pointing out is I think again, replication, this is smart. You guys are smart guys, but I see some holes in this, and I think that that they are red flags. What 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 investment strategy doesn't have holes, right? I, I looked. At, I look, I looked. You're bang on. But this was the debate. This is the debate. It's supposed to be a friendly debate, and I'm and I'm happy. You know, I I'll tell you a quick story. And Niles knows this. Is, is you know one of my close friends is Jerry Parker, and Jerry and I met because we have diametrically opposed views on being a CTA. He's been around far longer than I have. Great success. Admire him incredibly. Um, he's got a very different view on volatility-based volatility position adjusting. Completely different than mine. He says what I'm doing is wrong, and I say what he's doing wrong. And, and here we joust and we become great friends. And I respect his side of the equation. And and uh, you know perhaps he respects mine. I don't know. Um, but but we have a fun debate. And and I think you know again the idea of replication is smart. It, it works really well in a lot of areas. What I'm doing is, is challenging some of the issues. And, and the reason I'm doing that, Andrew, is because this is how I put food on my table. This is how I've developed a long track record. This is how my company you know, has success. And I care about the ecosystem incredibly.
2: So here, here's, here's, the, here's the issue that I have, right? How does an allocator measure success in most circumstances. I'm talking about the guy who oversees the whole portfolio who runs model portfolios. So we, we, we got approached back in 2009 about launching an ETF um, around our strategies. Uh, these are actually before we got into the manager future space. The, the issue that I've always had with, and, and the problem with, like so for all the, the, the hedge funds in ETF space is, is a disaster area. Okay, it's, and, and so the question is why? Like why is a $7 trillion space have like no assets in hedge fund strategy ETFs, and because most products—it's so hard, it's hard are, to replicate alpha. <laughs> no, that's 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 silly. That's that's like no, that's like, not that's, not like 19th, that's like the nineteen. That's like the two thousand three. Uh, uh, you know, like second year business school definition of alpha. The, I guess um, I went to a different business school than you. The so look the the I, I looked briefly at your index product. Right, it's called a managed futures index. Okay. And and there was a period, it looked like just eyeballing it, where you underperformed the SokChen CTA index by, by 30% over a two-year period of time. Right? That's not an index to me. If I'm an allocator, right, you're it's an index because you're you're telling people what your rules are. But you can be an active manager and you can say, these are my rules, and I'm gonna follow them blindly. Right? And 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 then you have to answer to, well, what if the world changes? Are you gonna change it? No, I'm not gonna change it because it's an index. What if your vault constraints are wrong? No, I'm not going to change it because it's an index, or I'm going to keep changing it, in which case you're an active manager and you're not an index anymore, right? So, 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 so for me as an allocator, the problem is you're not going to hold it until 2022 when you need it if you go through a period of meaningful underperformance relative to the benchmark. You may not like the benchmark, but, but I'm talking to people, the people who like what we do, like it because they have a high confidence now this year we are underperforming the benchmark more than we ever have that is and and we are having a larger drawdown than we expected and we are talking a lot about it and what happened because it it is different than our expectations and and we are being very very clear and upfront about it but the thing is you know when you look at the u.s mutual fund space what we're also looking at is why did so many people get out right aqr had 14.3 billion dollars in this in 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 their manetutures mutual fund and around a billion by the time 2022 hit and that didn't go all back into pimco and manhl and Dunn and everybody else who was in the space people fled because after 20 years not only I mean, after 5 years not only had the index done zero but their one bet on the space had gone down 20% and so that's the issue, right? Is how do you get people to to hold it? We could be in for another long winter win, winter, winter in the space. And so, look, it, it's, I mean, you describe this as a debate. It doesn't feel like a debate. It feels like it's like, it's, it feels like you have a bone to pick and you want to be confrontational and you want to pick arguments. I'm not going to, I, I can tear apart things that you're saying. It's not the point. It doesn't help. You have an audience who wants to hear what you have to say. I think I think you are hand waving around terms like alpha, that I don't see people, the guys that I respect, I don't think about talk about it in those kind of mysterious, mythical terms like it's you know somehow conjuring up fairy dust. These strategies have definable ways of getting to a particular result. Otherwise, you couldn't do it as an index. And the question is, what are the what are the ex- excess returns? What are the expected returns? What's the correlation profile of this strategy over time? And is it valuable to people? And I intend to be a a very very loud standard bearer that this strategy has more diversification bang for the buck if you do it with Niels, if you do it with us, if you do it with you, it should be in everybody's portfolio.
0: Don't 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 disagree. But it comes down to that biggest hurdle in this. You know, one of the biggest hurdles in the space is you know what is what is that hurdle for. Retail investor, institutional investor, and, and it really is the same to invest in this space. And, and the biggest hurdle has always been that unless you launched at an ideal time, like 2019 or early 2020 and had that performance, CTA performance hasn't exactly sold itself. We go through these periods when it is challenging to do what we do. And as you pointed out, you know the index that we started publishing back in 2010 has definitely gone through periods of underperformance versus the benchmarks. And and in and in, a, in a way, that's ex- kind of exactly what it's designed or our strategies. That's just one of our strategies, but is designed to do. It's commodity tilted versus financial. Uh, the index doesn't have uh, equities in it. Um, it is going to at times really, really underperform the financially tilted CTAs, or if the only thing really ripping is is equities or just bonds or just equities and bonds, 60-40 land. So we are gonna have those periods of outperformance, but here's what matters to my business. And, and I can only speak to our business and, and, and that is, do we perform at those critical times for our investors? Did we perform? You know, if, if, if that money that did stay with us up until beginning of 2020, it was a very hard period of time for all CTAs, pretty much all, I would say, you know, there's a big, wide, scope but but most anyway the ones that stuck with us were pretty happy in 2020 because we not only performed we outperformed in q1 we outperformed in in you know the rest of the year it was it was an absolutely
2: pivotal year right but but what were you up last year in 2022 you're up like eight percent or something in your index right i think the index so you, was so you, so you, so you underperformed so pre fee, that these guys were up 20 points ahead of you yeah, Last but yeah, in the year when you needed it the most. Like it just
0: I mean, like it's it's twenty 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 twenty-two. So this is what I think you're getting wrong. Twenty twenty-two, pretty much all CTAs in some capacity had a good year. And and our strategies were up whether we underperformed a little bit or, or you know, whichever, that's a bit neither here nor there because that's not what my clients are coming to me saying, you know what, you didn't you didn't keep up with the SOC Gen CTA index in 2020. You were positive, but you didn't quite keep up. The question was, how did you do in Q1 of 2020? 2020, 2020, how did you do in March? How did you do at these dislocating times? That's what they're asking, right? They're not asking for, for just those lotty die years. How did you do in 2019? Well, they know CTA struggled, right?
2: It's not what our clients are asking. What our clients are asking is, I like this space. How do I have it for the next 10 years? We entered the space in November 2015. The winter was just beginning. It was a horrible time to enter, enter the space. The next five years, the space did zero. I mean, the Socktron CT did zero. You think fees. 2019
0: was a horrible time to enter? If you're financially tilted, CTA?
2: 2015, 2015, oh, 2015, yeah. No, that was that was you know couldn't have couldn't we, have picked it Yes, worked. right. And so so during the next five years, fee efficiency saved us because if you were if you were zero or you went through big drawdowns over that period of time, you weren't around in 2020. Right. And and fee la- last year we were I mean, whatever. I mean you can look up you can look at the performance of the index, but basically SOCEN CTA index I mean SOCEN CT index was up twenty. In order for it to be up twenty, and as far as I know, everybody who's in the index still has a twenty percent fee structure meant these guys were up about twenty-eight. That's a year when replication should outperform. Because if you're getting ninety percent or more of what these guys are doing before fees, but you're only charging 85 basis points. You're going to do 400 basis points, 300, 400 basis points better. Um, there are going to be periods of time when 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 it's not going to. But the question is, do you have the wind at your back? I think we do. You think we don't? You know. I, but the, the questions your clients are asking you are it's not it's not the conversations I'm having it's, with people. So, so
0: to be clear, it, it, I actually disagree with that it's not that I don't think you have wind at your back. I think I think you're in a CTA space that is in a very positive. Uh, environment for the next three, five, seven, maybe even a decade. I think the CTA space is the right place to be, and and whether it's a single strategy, a multi-strat like our flagship, whether it's replication, I think the wind is at all of our backs, Andrew. I think this is what you're missing about what I'm saying, and I think there is room. This is one product. There's pick your other products. You know, and you've been highly critical of the other CTA products.
2: I've I've heard. So wait, wait, what 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 products do you think I've been critical of? let's put that on the record.
0: Well, I mean, I'm just, if I listen to past interviews where you talk about uh, the other products in the space, I'd, I'd say you've been pretty darn critical. I mean, which one are you talking about? You called one of them absolutely a terrible product.
2: Oh, no, no, look, they're, 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 look there are some ETFs. I mean, the Wis- Wisdom Tree launched a fund in 2010, but they're, they're not a CTA. So, so how are you a CTA and they're not a CTA? Oh look, look, I mean they 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 that this it's actually a very good example of an index product that that used the term index. So they originally started following something called the Trader Vic index. It was a single manager product, and the fund was positioned as a, a one stop solution for the managed futures space. And I think people who knew the space knew that if you're picking one guy's named index, you were taking single manager risk, and it's you talk about appropriateness. That's not appropriate in a retail portfolio, filling an asset allocation bucket.
0: You're saying, hold on, you're single manager risk. So you're saying that's inappropriate, but you're single manager.
2: So, so is Abby. No, they're not. Right? Abby is as single manager.
0: Absolutely, Abby is not a single manager risk. What you're hiring Abby to do as one of the most tenured fund of funds in the space is use their expertise to pick, put the right combination of CTA managers together.
2: And, right. you know, and they, in they were down, fee. they did a 37% drawdown in their flagship fund in the early 2010s when the index was down 14%. They, 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 everybody has, there's a risk in every single product. We're trying to minimize it the extent that we can. I advocate for Abbey's. When people ask me if you, in, in the US mutual fund space, there, there are a handful of funds that I recommend to people if you want to invest in a mutual fund.
0: But you're just talking about single manager risk, Andrew and you're saying wisdom tree is a terrible product, single manager risk you have single manager risk you're repli- you're replicating a benchmark through this these tools or you know managers in this space you've got this big lag if that's not single manager risk, I don't know what is
2: what we 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 are trying to we believe that if you look at the t- the, the average positions of twenty guys, you're going to look a lot more like Abby over time than you are like. So, you know, the average drawdown of the members of the S&P NCT index is in the 20s. Right? The index is 14. Okay. We are hoping to be a lot closer to 14 over time. And and so and so, you know, it, it's it's but again, remember, we're also doing it in an ETF with 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 a fee structure that somebody who's running a model portfolio can 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 digest and 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 feel like there's not a situation where you know i mean one of the things about the 2000 the that that long winter is that yes the assets in the industry came down but if every third year you have a really good year and then you give it back over the next two years the way the fee structure works is people make a lot of money in the one year and then and then you don't get it back right it's not like private equity where you get to the end and you see how much money you've actually made in hard dollars and distribute it you can have big years with big payouts Followed by periods of poor performance, and nobody gives their money back. I mean, this is a problem across the overall hedge fund industry. That's one of the issues we were trying to address. It's the path dependency of it.
0: And I applaud that. And having launched one of the first ETFs in this space, I mean, I get it. I think there's an appropriate place for it. Why do you think your ETFs failed in the U.S.? Well, I. It- so it wasn't just the U.S., we launched them in Canada when we first launched the Managed Futures ETF in Canada. And it was just timing. We launched them at, at you know, a really challenging time. Uh, it was really hard to tell the CTA story. Um, you know, part of our business model at OSPIS was, you know, again, different than the other CTAs in that we were retail and institutional, U.S. and Canada, uh, different delivery mechanisms for, you know, to really open up this to different investors. And the retail space specifically in Canada was, was definitely not looking for CTA products. So it was, it was definitely a misstep. Uh, we learned a lot about that space. Um, our product has been live in the US, the Calm ETF with Direction um, and the predecessor, Portiac um, Mutual Fund, has been live in the US since 2012. Just to be clear, it's five-star rated you know it's that's 11 years
2: but that's a, that's a long that's a long that's a commodity
0: tracking etf right that is a managed futures etf that is long flat the same engine we use in our managed futures index it's just long flat a basket of commodity only same term structure same volatility based position sizing it's managed futures at the end of the day but the point is even in that the commodity side in fact even harder was the commodity side versus CTA? It was very out of favor. You couldn't tell a commodity story, uh, let alone a CTA story. I'm a commodity tilted CTA manager. I come from a commodity background, and so definitely with that tilt, it was very, very hard for us
2: to tell our story. By the way, by the way, do you know? Do you know I started Pinnacle? It was the first commodity fund of funds. I launched it back in in the early 2000s. Uh, it's now kind of the global leader in allocating to fundamentally driven commodity. Managers uh, look, So I, I've known the commodity space for 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 a very long time as well you 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 talk about us as though we are uh, amateurs who cut corners to get to where we do to, to where we are. It's not who we are
0: i, I think you're, you're taking you're taking it personal when I'm pointing out with every strategy, as you've pointed out with ours, Andrew, you've pointed out the, the pitfalls or the negatives or whatever the negative points are. And every strategy has pluses and minuses. I'm a commodity tilted CTA who put out a single strategy, managed futures index and commodity index back over you know 13 years ago, and there's pluses and minuses. There's time when it underperforms and it outperforms. I recognize those pluses and minuses. I don't take them personally. It's not gonna break my heart if somebody says, you know what, here's the problem with that single strategy is it doesn't have strategy diversification. You're too focused in commodities. You don't have equities. There's a million criticisms of those things. The reality is we've, we've got a long track record We're growing our business. I see the pluses and minuses. I'm not taking those things personal. And you shouldn't take these things personal. What I'm pointing out is what I see as some of the red flags in the replication space, specifically as to CTA. It's not, It's again, you've got a tailwind. And I think you're gonna do great. As long as those managers and those benchmarks do great, you're gonna do great. But I think you have to be careful with your words when you start talking about alpha, when you start talking about infinite capacity, when you start, you know, when the risk management debate comes up, because those are the bones of what being a CTA is. And, and you know, I think those things just need to be pointed out. All right. This isn't an attack on you. This is just you pointed out the negatives of mine. And I'm just saying, hey, by the way, this is a debate. Sure. Well
2: look, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, to close look, to close the circle, I think the way you talk about alpha to me seems uh, well, you've said fashion. naive. You've
0: you've said naive yeah, and it's old fashioned. Okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It, it's, it's, I, I think there's been a huge evolution of how people think about and talk about these things. Um, Cliff Asnis has been a has been a leader in it. I have you know look, I I personally think that 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 you know where people went with the alternative risk premium products didn't um, I think they were oversold for what they were. But I think when people when people use this term alpha. I think you have to think about what what are you comparing it to, you know. So so if you're saying if you're saying our definition of alpha is that when you have certain market dislocations, you're going to go up. What's the cost of that in the rest of the time? Well, you can go out, you can go short the VIX, or you can do whatever. You could like, I mean, you can you can do a lot or buy the VIX, or you can, you know, you can short various things to get to get crisis alpha. It's always a trade off on this stuff, and. You know, look, I, I think there's another issue on the retail side uh, as it relates to adoption, which, which Niels and I have talked about. Now, hold that hold I think on. Let's just, let, let me just
0: address that for one second.
2: Right. It's, it, this
0: is a very elusive thing. What is alpha? So you can say I'm naive about it or old fashioned or whatever. I'm not that old, but, but I, get you, I get your point. But that's, n- that's not the issue I have with it. Let's try to define perfectly what alpha is and that we perf- perform perfectly at this time. My issue is very simple. Your statement publicly is fee reduction is the purest form of alpha. And we think that's, that's a misrepresentation.
2: It's, 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 it's a reference to the fact that if you have a, if you're doing, if you're doing an, an institutional share class versus an a share class, the, the the cheaper share class will generate more. If if that wasn't clear to you, then I think it's clear to most people that I talk about that it's really an effort to try to to, to agree, basically say it's trying to try to good in for investors. Point. I I hundred percent agree. Lower fees are very good for investors.
0: And, and, and provided, you know what? And, and and you know what? They're actually reasonably good for like look. There's a sweet spot, I believe. Right? It's not just that they're good for investors. If you want a business with longevity, I think having appropriately priced products for the performance is, is absolutely imperative so we agree on that it's your statement right because i i just i just this is just a debate it's two guys talking again it's like jerry and i saying hey you know what i volatility adjust my positions when vols blow out in crude oil and and he's saying don't do that and i'm like well you know we agree to disagree right so we're disagreeing on
2: what alpha is you're saying it's fee reduction i'm saying it's not no, no, look, I'm saying, I'm saying alpha is a complicated process. But, but look, mathematically, you've got to decide what you're comparing yourself to. and, and, and well, you tw- your, Twitter handle,
0: your Twitter handle says, in hedge funds, fee reduction is the purest form of alpha. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I didn't know who you were, but that's where my starting point was.
1: <laughs> now, guys, let me interject a little bit here. This, this has been good. I'm sure the audience will um, be surprised with this episode, but I think they're going to love it. Uh, Now, I will just say, just as a little, there's a couple of things that I've just sort of written down, and I don't want to get into a big debate about it. I just want to point out that when we say that lower fees are good for investors, I don't think necessarily that's the true statement. I know plenty of funds that have high fees that have much better returns than a lot of the low fees products. So you can't make that statement either, in my view, saying lower fees are better for investors. Not always. So I just want to make that clear. They have to all equate, right? I don't know if it's the right
2: word, but they have to justify each other. Yeah. The, the, the clause in the beginning is all other things being equal. No, no,
1: I wasn't actually referring to to your statements or anything. I was just just that little point that was mentioned at the end by both of you tend to agree that lower fees are better for the investor. I'm just, I'm just saying I don't agree with that. Uh, <laughs> in isolation. Sometimes. I agree. Yeah, exactly. Give, yeah.
2: give money to Millennium. Pay them 10 points if you can that's they 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 are they're worth
1: they are worth every penny. Yeah. So things like that. Even some of the CTAs that I know pretty well. Um, you know. Anyways, that's one thing. The other thing I just want to say because I think that's just something for me to be um absolutely sure about, something I picked up from you Andrew and that is when you say or you said, well, we are very closely correlated to the index. Again, from my point of view, I think correlation doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to replicate the performance because you could be correlated, but it doesn't mean you're generating the same performance because amplitude of returns is also important when you do correlation analysis, right? Because people often say to me, oh, I only need one trend follower because they're so correlated. And I'm thinking, that's not true because they can have very different performance.
2: Oh, completely. Correlation is a terrible correlation's a terrible statistic, but I, I you know, we search we, we search for a better one to have. We have we are highly correlated this year. We are underperforming. We are highly correlated in the years leading up to it, and we outperformed by a lot. That's and that's you know, so that's the challenge of replication. Is if you're if you're if you're outperforming are you doing your job? People are happy, but are you doing no, your no, job sure, in the same sure. no, way? No, I just want to you again do, you uh, for yeah.
1: people to understand that. The other thing is, I actually, I, I mentioned earlier, we don't have time for, for both of them. I just, I actually did mention that there was a question that came in from, from one of our listeners. And I think it's somewhat relevant. I don't know if it's more a statement than it is something we need to debate now, but but Oliver writes in, and I want to give credit to to him uh, for, for taking time to write in. He says, why should it be more attractive for investors to invest in an index replication strategy instead of picking the trend fund that suits their specific portfolio goals and specific convictions best. I guess it's more difficult for investors to tell where the SG trend or SG CTA index will move going forward, e.g. recent sharp tilt of the index, than to tell where a specific fund with specific characteristics will go. Example, if I invest in, say, Don Capital, I know approximately what their fund and methodology stands for. I don't know that as well for a mixed basket index. The index might move away from, the, from what I'm personally expecting from trend. However, it might reduce regret, fear of missing out, uh, though when looking at other funds' short-term performance, so there is a behavioral benefit for some. And I thought I think that's that's an interest. I mean, I think also that is a relevant point that because we talk about it as it's either or, I think it actually depends on what what you want from an allocation to this space.
2: Absolutely, my my, my whole my whole point is anybody who's trying to do. I mean, I look. We we tried to build this as an index like solution. Index being defined as the overall space, which we meant by the SockGen CTA index or an equivalent index. Uh, that guy should invest with you. Right. It is it is it is really good for him. He wants to know how you think and what you're doing. He has very well defined views in terms of where you fit in your portfolio and how you're supposed to put or she he should invest with Tim. Because Tim is basically articulating that that you know we think we are gonna have this particular return profile over a period of time that is gonna generate XYZ at a specific period of time. That's a guy who is neck deep in this space and what he wants and has the technical expertise to do that. If that guy says, my goal is in 10 years as part of my asset allocation to have something that is moving along with the index for good or bad, but if that's my goal, he should
1: talk to us. Now. I'm gonna wrap. I'm gonna kind of wind this down, but it does leave us with, I think, potential for more debates because I, I, I sense you're becoming best friends through an hour of conversation. Even though you, it may not have sounded like this in the last hour, so I, I think that's where we're heading. Um, but anyways, there is a new entrance coming into this space um, who will be listening right now, and that is of course uh, Jerry and and. Be, Exactly. Even you know. So even though I think Tim has some stories about how he thought that what Tim was doing back then was completely nonsense, uh, he seems to be joining the ranks now. But more importantly, he's doing it, as far as I understand, with his full product. And that is a difference because often CTAs have, in that ETF space, carved out something which, let's be frank, is not their best product. So I can't imagine why why you want to do that for a flat fee of less than 1% and you have to share half of that. I can't imagine why you would do that. I And frankly, I mean, you've been very frank with each other. I can be very frank with you and say, I still don't really understand why you guys are giving what you're doing away because, in my view, you're only competing on price. But that's for another debate. I'm setting it up as a little teaser um okay <laughs> round two you you, you said you set it up well i mean you know this is this is
0: part of the debate and I, I love the way you describe that niles in terms of yeah there was there was a high criticism of you know why are you doing this and why are you charging this and why are you carving this out of your flagship product you know your subpar product so to speak or a single strategy i don't think it's subpar i think it's a single it's a single strategy that makes up a multi-strat but but you know you're bang on I'm, I'm curious of those same things with uh you know with jerry um, so i think we you know, might again, be and, and, next and by the way you know i'd leave it leave it with this andrew you know from my side I, I think what you've done is is super innovative there's a great tailwind um you know this is not that i think the thing should go away that is not what i'm trying to get across here I think there's room and I think there should be choice for investors. And I think that's fantastic, especially in this place. The most underserved space in the retail world, in my opinion. That's why I made the business decisions I made. You know, definitely had some missteps as a business. We were too early. You know, even just launching in Canada versus the U.S. was probably a big mistake. It is what it is. But here we are. And and all I'm trying to point out is, is certain things that I think... We have to be careful in terms of how we describe things, and no more clearly has that been reminded to me more most recently when I converted our, you know, our longstanding funds to public funds in Canada. Um, you know, publicly available different regulations in terms of how you describe things, and and what I'm saying is that you know we've just got to be careful in terms of what we promise and and how we describe those things, and that's all I'm kind of pointing out. Um, you know, you're obviously a smart group of guys. Replication is a cool thing. You know, I just I chose a different path in the CTA space.
2: I look. I, I I appreciate you saying that. And and look, as I would say, I there are a million different ways to go at this space. Um, and look, I think Corey's a great example. You know, I mean, hopefully Corey will listen to this. Corey is incredibly smart. He learned what we did, and he built a product that he believes is better. It uses part of what we do. It uses part of what you do, Tim. Basically, in terms of constructing a rules-based approach, and then he added a, a a fixed income and a leveraged component to it, to try to serve a different part of the market. And and you know, so back to Jerry coming into this space, I hope Man comes into this space. I hope Alpha Simplex comes into this space. They they you know they just bought by a company. They, there should be a lot of really good ETF products out there, and there haven't been. And I think what's what happened with our success last year is i think before last year because of tim your experience and the experience of other people in the space and the fact that wisdom tree had been around for a long time first trust had been around for a long time that had gotten traction is people assumed you couldn't do it you 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 couldn't offer a a, a credible asset allocation tool a credible you know trend following product or credit in an etf and we've tried to break that mold it's not easy you know, we are dealing, we are $700 million out of a $7 trillion industry. We are one basis point out of the U.S. ETF world. And so, so you know, Niels, back to your, your thing is, our argument is that it shouldn't be one basis point. I don't know if it's 10 basis points, like in the mutual fund space, or 20 basis points in five years, or or, or 50 basis points. There is plenty of room for everybody to have really meaningful assets and 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 our view is that if we can solve an asset allocation problem it gets us in front of guys who decide to just use us not picking us versus other things but they fill a bucket and and if we can do that well for them then you know we'll have lower fees but it'll be on larger aums over a long period of time and it'll work or not you know 3 years maybe uh you know, I'll be I'll be sending you guys resumes for jobs or something, and you know there'll be uh you know a, a, a big a big uh, resounding laughter from Calgary about uh, about not, uh, not at
0: all. Again, you, you you truly shouldn't take it that way. This is a debate about how to go about something in a space that obviously is is you know where I've made my career and how I make my living and put food on my table. So um, I'm say sensitive about it, but you know don't take it personal. There's so many ways to slice the pie. Uh, look, I've been the bearer of so many a criticism in my career and even in what we've done at Auspice. I mean, we're a commodity-tilted CTA going down the ETF path. I remember when I first launched a, a natural gas ETF. If you're such a good CTA, why are you launching this beta ETF? Well, I wanted to learn about ETFs and indexing. So I've, I've taken lots of criticism and you know there's room for
2: it, and uh, so be it. Um, if you, you want, if you want to enjoy, if you want to enjoy widespread hatred, launch a replication business. <laughs> <laughs> I, I spent well a, decade, well a decade and a half, almost twelve years getting the door slammed in my face again and again. It's too simple. It can't work. It's not alpha. And and for whatever reason, I am you know I, I'm still standing, but barely.
1: So okay let's let's leave it on that note this this really was fantastic i thoroughly enjoyed it i think everyone listening to this uh enjoyed it because at the end of the day i mean as as i sometimes say in my intro i mean this is the place where we come to voice our differences on the one thing that we all love and so i think we've we've lived up to that um statement today and we will do this again, I have no doubt. And uh, Maybe there will be three, four, five of us. Next time you'll have Jerry, and then you, you both can gang exactly. up on me. So there will be, be plenty of ways to, uh, to, to keep this going. Now, uh, let me just say that if you enjoy this uh, type of, of episode, why don't you just let me know, and maybe we can do more of these. But in any event, make sure you rate and review the podcast um, so that more people can find debates like this. I mean, these are some of the smartest people you're going to come across in this industry so why not uh, share that with more people next week i'm gonna be joined by another very clever person from this industry namely nick baltus from goldman sachs so make sure you send in your questions for that episode info at toptradersonplot.com that is where you should send them from andrew tim and me thanks ever so much for listening we look forward to being back with you next week and in the meantime as usual take care of yourself and take care of each other Thanks for listening to the Systematic Investor podcast series. If you enjoy this series, go on over to iTunes and leave an honest rating and review. And be sure to listen to all the other episodes from Top Traders Unplugged. If you have questions about systematic investing, send us an email with the word question in the subject line to info at toptradersunplugged.com and we'll try to get it on the show.